0: Uh, This is Control Structure Episode 75 for December 2nd, 2014. Big week to everyone listening. Uh, I am your host, Andrew Bailey, and this is the other host, Stephen Orvis. Hi. Hi. So, uh, yeah, Thanksgiving
1: happened. It did happen.
0: Yes. And uh, I was like you, and I went home to my parents' house. And uh, much turkey was consumed.
1: That, that sounds similar to my Thanksgiving. Lots of turkey. Yeah.
0: Um in fact, I uh, was so looking forward to it. I packed uh like empty like plastic
1: containers for uh, leftovers. You were ready to go. Of course, cooking your own food isn't any fun, so leftovers are pretty pretty nice to have.
0: Yeah. And uh, of course, uh, got uh, plenty of pumpkin pie. So and I did something a little crazy in that I took 20th century, uh, which is my old computer, over uh, just so I would have something to do, and I uh, finished Fallout, like the original
1: Fallout. So do you take it complete with monitor? Uh, everything but the monitor. <sighs> Should drag the heavy thing around. Then you really feel like the good old days. <laughs>
0: Uh, well, except I didn't really have a LAN party with a CRT, so, um, yeah, and, uh, you know, played a little bit of SimCity while I was there, a little bit of Road Rash, you know, uh, pretty fun stuff. So, uh, how was your
1: Thanksgiving? Oh, it was pretty good. Uh, my grandma and uncle came over, we ate food, and then ate pies later on in the evening, checked my (laughs) traps, I caught a possum. Nice. Was it on Sunday? One of the other, other days. I yeah, caught a yeah. Possum. You had Pretty you had
0: mentioned uh, like last time that you had caught something. I think it might have been a raccoon.
1: Yes, I, you know, It would have been the raccoon last time. I've caught I've caught two possums this year though. They're always way too easy to catch. Like they're they say their brain is the size of a pea. So it's like whenever you shoot a possum, oftentimes you don't kill them the first time to the head. It like takes multiple times to find their brain. But anyways, mm. yes. So. so.
0: I, I suppose this might imply something about their intelligence.
1: Yes, th- th- that's somewhere along the lines of why they're easy to catch, in my opinion. Is <laughs> maybe they don't have much intelligence there? It seems. I-, I think you could probably just put a trap out and not even try to catch something, and I think a possum would still get caught,
0: <laughs> like not trying. Um. So yes, I heard that uh, you had got uh, the Stanley Parable. I did get the Stanley Parable, that was a on pretty the, good game. On the Steam sale, and, yes. uh, this, this relates well into some of my other things, in that, uh, like, have you seen the Raphael trailer
1: for that? Uh, no.
0: Okay, well, uh, um, I think it might actually be on the store page for Stanley Parable, uh, but, uh, Uh, like, I showed that to Chris once, and I had, I believe I had ripped one of the quotes, uh, later, in that, uh, you know, I went over to my parents' house, and they had shoes! Shopping, 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 shopping! So, uh, I so happened to, uh, go shoe shopping, uh, on Friday. Uh, so, uh, I also got a pair of jeans, so, and then, uh, on an unrelated note, uh, uh, something came uh, from Amazon that I had ordered on Sunday, uh, which was uh, sort of odd. Uh, unfortunately, the podcast network resident postal service expert retired uh, a while about a while ago, so I'm unable to uh, you know figure out what's going on. But uh, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if at some point that Amazon just bought the postal service.
1: That would actually make a lot of sense. So, but,
0: uh, let's see. Another thing that was going on was Desert Bus for Hope 8. Uh, it ended, uh, with over $630,000 raised, uh, which was, uh, uh, pretty fun to watch if you, uh, uh, you know, cared to do that. Um, let's see. I forget what day it was. It might have been Wednesday. Uh, it must have been like their penultimate day or something. Uh, which means the one before the last, uh, which, uh, funny story about Chris, uh, later. Um, so, uh, let's see, they had, uh, there was a a party going on in, like, the next room or something, so they wanted to crash it by having a dance line go through there. So, uh, they did that, and, uh, you know, since they're up in Canada, uh, British Columbia specifically, uh... Let's see, the minister of technology or something happened to be in there. And they came over and, uh, like some other guy came over. And, uh, turns out that the other guy, uh, runs this, uh, touring company. So, you know, they, uh, just you know, auctioned off a seven day, seven night, uh, rental on a houseboat on this one lake. And everyone there was like, no, that's like amazing. So they, uh, auctioned that off uh, for about twice of what it was worth, um, and then, uh, let's see, it was maybe an hour or so after that, uh, you've heard me talk about Borderlands, right? Yes. Uh, I think it was, like, one of the artists or writers from there, uh, was on there, uh, auction, auctioning off this, uh, one lot of Borderlands memorabilia and, like, all sorts of collectible stuff, And, uh, just so happened that the CEO of Gearbox, uh, which was the company that actually made it, uh, he just dropped by. Uh, (laughs) so, uh, yeah, it was, uh, great to see, uh, that happen there. I think that actually went for maybe $10,000. So, yeah, uh, amazing things were happening there. So, uh, and then I believe it ended on either Thursday or Friday, uh, that is before Thanksgiving. So... But uh, let's uh, move on here a little bit. And uh, do you uh, have some sort of a buzzword detector in your
1: head? Uh, Evidently not exactly. (laughs) Since I read the whole way through this and I had to look at the GitHub repository to figure out that it was fake.
0: So yeah, this should uh, give your buzzword buzzer a workout. Uh, The HTML9 responsive boiler strap JS. Oh, your head hasn't exploded yet? This should do it. And, uh, you know, like pretty much all of this is made up fakery. And, uh, if you come across something that is, you know, how should I say, has more words that you are not familiar with, especially capitalized words, you can be pretty sure that it's all fake.
1: So I just realized under frequently asked questions, it actually says frequently axed yes. questions.
0: Yes. Um, let's see. I think. I wonder if uh, you read the in how do I install this before
1: or after you looked at the repo. Yes, it says, um, were you stupid or something? Just attack clone the git rep pro, push merge, then Ruby gem, the light node, JS, Schwab, more module, and presto. So, <laughs> yeah, um, just a lot of gibberish. Yeah, but well, it the... almost sounds right though, because some, some sites do kind of treat users that way like i said when i saw i thought it was just a guy who was doing a really bad job of writing documentation because there are places that have documentation that good
0: yeah uh although i like number five can it app appify my app friendly ipad appification don't worry be appy the show does have show notes. Uh, before we get too far into this, visit the slash CS75 to see them, if you're not already looking at them. And now, for this episode's LOL Apple. <laughs> so, Apple is being sued uh, over an update to its DRM in 2006 that locked out competitors' music. Uh, uh, so, apparently this most uh, mostly affected real networks uh, at least that is the, uh, the competitor most mentioned here so in 2006 that kind of coincided with uh, the iPod Nano or at least a new generation of that uh, so plaintiff lawyer Bonnie Sweeney kicked off her opening statements uh, it had twice the storage capacity and came in five different colors but what Apple didn't tell its customers is that the code came with uh the code that came with the new nano also contained the keybag verification code. That code did not make the nano faster or improve sound quality, didn't make it sleeker or cooler. Instead, what it did was prevent customers who had legally purchased songs from a competitor from playing their
1: songs on their iPod. And so was this uh, just not allowing you to use iTunes and sync up your music to it, or was it the digital rights management in the music was being read and it was determining that it wasn't an allowed source? Uh,
0: more the second part. Okay. Because um, I'm pretty sure that Real had sort of reverse engineered the DRM uh, that Apple had used. Uh, and that they could, you know, essentially fake uh, music being bought from iTunes, uh, okay. but then they changed everything and it wouldn't work. And I'm not exactly sure if, like, if you tried to use it, that it would, like, brick everything. Uh, but, you know, this is, you know, pretty serious, uh, uh, you know, accusations here. So, you know, the uh, fortunately, I don't think that Apple has uh, DRM on their music anymore. Uh, but uh, you know, back you know ten years ago, the uh, recording industry was really, uh, uh really uh, was pretty strict on uh, DRM on music. Uh, but then they wanted to, uh, you know, sort of how should I say, uh, remove Apple from the, uh, you know, having the leading spot, uh, on you know music stores. So yeah. they, uh, you know, partnered with uh, Amazon that, you know, released, uh, you know, our MP3 format, you know, DRM-free music.
1: I never liked the way Apple did there. Just like you have to use iTunes pretty much to add your music to the player. You can't just drag and drop through Windows. I always thought all that was kind of stupid and players that supported dragging and dropping was superior.
0: Uh, I agree. Uh, like all the MP3 players I've had, you know, work that way. Uh, yeah. you know, even if they have like some sort of library management on top of that. Um, but, uh, yeah. my current Sansa clip, uh, has, uh, you know, like library features on it. Mm-hmm. I don't use those.
1: Yeah. I, I do have a creative Zen that I got for free once on Facebook, which it, it's a, the player itself is pretty decent, but it does require that you sync it up with something. I think I normally use something in Ubuntu, forget what I used. But you couldn't drag and drop with that, and that that annoyed me with that. But it wasn't that bad. I mean, you could use the software, and they definitely weren't doing this as far as prohibiting prohibiting your source of music. They were just had bad software, I think, in that sense. So,
0: and uh, you also noticed something else in here.
1: Oh yes. So it actually has very interesting uh, dialogue as to how they chose the jury. They had a couple, of, quite a few different ones that they struck. From being, uh, j- jurors, uh, but one of the good ones was, uh, they struck a female musician who said she loved all Apple products. So I guess that one was probably kind of obvious that she wasn't going to vote against Apple. Yeah there's There's some pretty good ones on both sides of the aisle. It would seem hard to find in a, a case like this to find people who are actually are impartial, like one I remember they mentioned had like d- business dealings with Apple and it was like I think he was one of their uh, top client for them or or something like that. It's just like yeah, hand, so a obvious.
0: A handful of them had actually met Steve Jobs at some point
1: That's the one that got me. It's like I, mean, I know it's what California or someplace maybe is I guess that's where Apple's at, is that yeah, uh, okay,
0: I believe it's Cupertino which is, like, on the south side of San Francisco Bay.
1: Okay, so, so at least it's in the region, but it, I found it odd that two of the people had met Steve Jobs. It just made me wonder if somehow they were planted there. Just It just seemed really suspicious to yeah.
0: me. Uh, apparently, they did not strike an engineer who worked at Google, uh, even though he complained directly about DRM generally, saying that it had destroyed sharing, and Apple DRM in particular.
1: So that one surprised me, but the only thing I could think of was he's kind of a somewhat credible source. He at least sounds like he has his head on straight.
0: Yeah. So, uh let's see, you you weren't on this podcast yet, uh, but Aaron Schwartz, uh his suicide was one of the first big stories, uh, that was on this podcast. Uh someone has done several Freedom of Information Act requests with regard to his prosecution and all the data the government had on him. And he has since posted the information. So, I haven't really gone through, uh, you know, all of this, uh, but, you know, it's, it seems like, uh, the government actually had quite a bit of stuff on him. You know, there's, uh, the, uh, uh, the Secret Service videos. It starts out with, uh, like him actually being brought in and being questioned. So, and it looks like, uh, they might have, uh, several photos of the, Uh, closet in the laptop that he uh, used to download all this stuff. Uh, If you recall, he was actually downloading files from JSTOR, uh, which is like an academic papers website uh, or archive of some sort. Yes. So, um, yeah, uh, maybe this will uh, help people, you know, trying to uh, you know, evade government uh, surveillance.
1: Oh, and seeing how they, they gathered information on him, is that kind of the thought? Yeah. I didn't realize that was the purpose. I thought it was somehow trying to prove his innocence and all the evidence was where I thought the, the point was. Mm.
0: So Gabriel All, a Windows 10 developer, has posted a screenshot of Windows Media Player in Windows 10. Uh, apparently it shows uh, FLAC support. He later clarified that this is system-level support and not, uh, not just a Windows Media Player feature. So And somehow that has uh, escaped my list of links here. Um, so, yeah, it looks like he has an album playing. And if you look all the way over to the right, you'll see type, a type column, and then flack all the way down. And uh, the file sizes actually uh, match up pretty well um, because uh, flack, uh, you know, compresses like raw, uh, uh, raw sound uh, to about half of what it was. Okay. But it looks like this is uh significantly higher than CD quality sound. So, yeah, it looks like this is the real deal. So, um I guess I'm the uh how should I say the vocal supporter of flac on this network. Um so, uh see it was about a year ago that I pretty much ripped every CD I had into flac, uh you know, just you know because so, like, I didn't really want to, uh, you know, go through and, you know, re encode it for something else. You know, if it's in FLAC, it's in a lossless codec. Uh, unlike MP3, it sort of takes out a little bit of the uh, sound. Uh, so, you know, I sort of wanted to, you know, keep it in a sort of, you know, as close as possible to the original.
1: So, uh, De- definitely a good thing when they, they start supporting things more natively in operating systems, opposed depending upon third party tools. Mm hmm.
0: Uh, So Firefox 34 was just released. Uh, The big thing is that Google is no longer the default search engine. Uh, Mozilla has signed a deal with Yahoo uh, because their uh, previous deal with uh, Google had run out. Uh, You can still change the Awesome Bar search engine by switching the engine in Options or the Search Bar. Um, So this has actually finally prompted me to start using DuckDuckGo.
1: Um, What is... Firefox Hello. This is one of the new features. It sounds like it's a VoIP client or something.
0: Firefox Hello real-time communication client. So that's sort of like the infrastructure for something like Skype, but in the browser.
1: Yeah. That's that's interesting. that's a very different move for Firefox to be native in, in doing this.
0: Uh well it's it's in the Firefox beta channel, so it's not actually in the release. Uh, release channel. So, but uh, you know, this uh, you know has a little bit of a shakeup to it. It appears that if you uh, it only defaults to Yahoo if you install it on a you know on a you know fresh profile. Mm-hmm. So like if you just installed your installed everything on your new uh system and then installed uh Firefox, it would default to Yahoo. But uh, it is implied that you know if you are already using Google, it'll stay that way.
1: Which to me makes sense. Uh, I've got user options that say I'm using Google. Mm -hmm. And so if I upgrade, I I think my user options should keep being Google or they should give me a prompt if they wanted to and say, do you want Google? Do you want Yahoo? That would be the the only way. I I don't think it would be good for them to just default me back to Yahoo. I wouldn't actually like that
0: at all. Yeah, so, um, yeah, go ahead and upgrade and see what, uh, happens. So, um, after a little bit of hunting around, uh, if you remember the other Mozilla project, the, uh, their, uh, optimized JPEG encoder, uh, the Moz JPEG, I have, I have finally found some binaries for that, so you can actually run this and, uh, do a little bit of, uh, testing with it.
1: So, on this site, they have, uh... An upload place where you can upload photos and, and try it out. So I uploaded a JPEG I had, and it actually made it eight kilobytes bigger. But uh, Andrew thinks that it's because it's not a raw photo beforehand.
0: Yeah, um, like if you are actually resizing uh, images, you know, like to make them smaller to put on your blog, then this would be helpful. So um, yeah, it's it's not a dramatic improvement, but it will shave a few K off of an image. Uh, so if you if you are familiar with how uh, like JPEG encodes like the uh, quality uh, settings, uh, you know you can play around with that a little bit to uh, get you know an ideal file size versus quality trade-off. Um, so uh, like I'd have to you know search around for uh like a program that will actually use this natively. Uh and you know, maybe bonus if you can compare between the uh reference JPEG encoder and Moz JPEG.
1: Yeah, that's really how you need to compare would be to do both at the same time, the same operation and see.
0: Yeah. So uh finally, good stuff. So do you want to create some good UIs but you are not a designer? I have uh found a two part article that goes over like seven or eight steps. Uh, that actually, you know, doesn't actually give examples. It actually picks through why things are the way they are. Um, so, and I kind of like the, uh, like how it starts off that light comes from the sky. This is perhaps the most important non-obvious thing to learn about UI design. Light comes from the sky so frequently and consistently that for it to come from below actually looks freaky. Uh, when light comes from the sky, it illuminates the tops of things and casts shadows beneath them. The tops of stuff are lighter, the bottoms darker. You would not think of people's lower eyelids as being particularly shaded, but shine some light on those suckers and all of a sudden it's Demon Girl at your front door.
1: See, I, I had never uh, thought of that before, but after I, I saw that and saw his an example, I realized that it was true. Everything always does lighter at the top, darker at the bottom. That, that is very standard.
0: Yeah, and uh, that's why, you know, lights are kind of elevated, like even indoors. Um, So it also picks aside, you know, picks out shading on, like, buttons and stuff and, like, other on-screen elements and sort of, like, depicts a side view so you can sort of see, like, the three-dimensional things that it's sort of emulating. So, and it also, uh, you know, touches on a little bit of the uh, flat UI design and it uh, actually uh, gives an example of Oregon Trail from, like, 1983 <laughs> that you kind of liked.
1: Yes. Yes, he chose the the Oregon Trail with a message popped up that says something like, John has dysentery. So that brought back good memories of Oregon Trail and my people dying of dysentery and various other disease. Just bury them and continue on. So, And it
0: uh, talks a little bit
1: about color. Uh, but
0: you know, before you start with color, you want to make sure that it looks good in black and white. So
1: yeah, I, I I thought that was interesting. It was a really good point you was making of if it looks good in just the black and white, then, you know, just adding, it's easy to add just a couple colors later and just kind of try and see versus doing the full color thing and not really having something that looks good at all.
0: And then, uh, the third point is white space. Like you gotta have it like a lot. Uh, a lot of attractive designs have, like, a lot of space in them. Uh, you don't really notice it until you actually add in space to your own stuff. Does it actually look good? And, like, it actually picks apart a, uh, uh, like, a music player concept of how, like, the actual spacing is important. Uh, let's see. Then on the second part, it actually goes through more images, like, image type things. Uh, like how to place text on images, especially on like random images almost and how to make it look good. And like the techniques used and it mostly, uh, a few of them involve like actually having a darker shaded area, uh, like, uh, generally towards the bottom that has the text on it.
1: It, he he was showing how they're doing the overlays and stuff, and sometimes it's really sneaky and subtle the way they're doing it. You don't even see like a gradient or something, but because it's there putting the white text over it makes it just shine out, and I, I never picked that up before in pictures like that, but then now that he showed how they're doing it, it makes a lot of sense, and I know I've seen that quite a bit. So And
0: then uh, he has tips on how to uh, make text pop and unpop, uh or like stand out or make text not so stand out uh you know basically having an hierarchy uh in what's going on on the page um you know that's you know even back in college i remember this uh quite um you know it stood out quite a bit in that you know you can establish a visual hierarchy and you're in your like a, basically a wall of text uh pretty easily just by you know sizing headers essentially and maybe a little bit of uh color as well. So and then he uh you know says you know use some good fonts and he actually gives some uh you know pretty good free fonts. Um and then uh you know gives uh, some other uh sites that you know uh, are sort of like design uh oriented.
1: The the one was pretty good uh, Let me find the name of it that I was on. It, sh- it shared like just like jpegs of different sites that People had designed and it did look like a really nice spot to go to hmm. just to see a dri- the dribble or dribble with three B's in it. Yeah. But yeah, that, that was that looked like a pretty nice site.
0: So after you're, uh, you know, you've made your black and white uh, design, uh, you'll need to uh, put some colors in there probably. Uh, so, if you want to have some really nice themed colors, I have found a text box that essentially searches Google Images and creates color palettes from them. So, you know, you can type in just like any broad subject, like uh, grass, for instance, and it'll come up with a nice green palette. And, uh, you know, it has like various different shades uh, pulled from images. So, uh, did you
1: uh, try this out a little bit? I did try that out. I typed in deer and it got like some grays and some browns and then it had a picture of a fawn and it got like uh, some grays and it's some greens because the fawn had a, a green grass background. It was kind of interesting. Yeah. So his intention with that is if you have a picture that's kind of like one of the pictures you found, then you can take a color scheme and build it around that picture and it would match well with the picture.
0: Yeah. Um, or if you uh, you know wanted to you know have a, like a sports themed website for a particular uh, team. Ah, uh, that's
1: an Interesting point.
0: So, um, so yeah, I mentioned that I had uh, played Fallout, uh, over the uh over the holiday, and uh, uh, let's see, you know, since I read gaming news and stuff. Uh, there's a common criticism that uh, like every game these days is a dull brown shooter or something. Uh, so I'm like, hmm, well, won't we put Call of Duty up against Fallout? And it seems that uh, Fallout has a lighter and bluer palette than Call of Duty does, uh, which I uh, found mm. mildly interesting. So, But uh, the Fallout is uh, more pulled from the uh, the recent installments. But it still has, you know, a pretty, uh, you know, a fairly dark uh, palette, though.
1: See, not many of the pictures are actual gameplay pictures, though, are they? They're just like uh, icons for the game.
0: Uh, let's see. I think the fifth one down is a screenshot.
1: Okay. So
0: yeah. So uh, there is a draft for a new HTML form submission format: uh, application slash JSON, and uh, as you know. As implied, if this goes through, you could submit JSON natively from the browser without JavaScript. Uh, so you could uh, easily interact with a RESTful web services uh, and have less JavaScript doing it because the browser would be uh, formatting your JSON and sending it out uh, by itself.
1: Uh, I thought this was pretty huge. They showed an example in the the, the format or in the draft there of how they would do the form, and it was just, you know, like a normal HTML form with a, a tag saying it was JSON, and it would produce a JSON output. I, I think that's a, a big deal and sounds like something very practical to implement.
0: So, and, uh, like, it would definitely speed up prototyping of web services.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, so, uh, how about a test? Uh, which is faster, HTTP or HTTPS? Uh, that is the secured HTTP, uh, so, you know, it's sort of rumored that HTTPS is kind of slower, uh, but uh turns out that if you're not using Internet Explorer, uh, this site is probably using SPDY. Uh, it's Google's HTTPS extension that preemptively sends content to clients before the client realizes that it needs to be requested. Um, so, you know, just, you know, using Firefox here, that it seems that... Uh, the HTTPS is uh, like about three times faster, or uh, at least just tested fifty-five percent faster.
1: It's, it's said to it do like two or three times, and I, I found in my testing that it did vary quite a significant amount. So what I was trying to understand is, so if it's saying that it's it's pre sending data to the client that the client doesn't know it needs yet, so that to me means uh, the end of the list. There, it's sending me data that it hasn't asked for just yet. But my connection is busy downloading the stuff I am asking for right now. How are we seeing a performance increase?
0: Uh, Because the browser needs to parse the HTML received in order to send out further requests for these images. Okay, so if if so it's already sent it. Yeah, if the server knows that this image or this JavaScript is going to be required for a page it can just go ahead and send it you know after or even during uh the uh the actual html transmission uh i believe spdy also uh has like a multiplexing feature excuse me that uh you know you can download like 100 things at one time over one connection
1: uh versus so,
0: versus regular http it's just one request per connection at
1: one time ah uh, okay so it's really at the core layer it's how Protocols built is limiting for HTTP then versus the HTTPS.
0: Right. So, and, uh, you know, as it stands, HTTP uh, 1.1, I think, uh, is almost 15 years old. Uh, So, you know, and, you know, Google has been trying to, uh, you know, move that along, you know, like there's like so much optimization we could do. Uh, So, SPDY uh, is kind of, uh, you know, that is is exactly that. So I uh, pulled up Internet Explorer, since it does not support this newer protocol extension, and it seems like the regular HTTP is about 5% faster.
1: Okay, which sounds reasonable, you know, yeah. since you're encrypting and everything. Well, What it kind of tells me is, we've implemented this for HTTPS, we need to update HTTP and, and make it faster, because... If HTTPS can be that much faster, HTTP can be that much more faster.
0: Okay, so the, the thing about that is that uh, Google wants this SPDY uh, thing to actually supplant HTTP. And um, so
1: Google's not going to write it for HTTP.
0: Um, in that, you know, SPDY uh, is actually already encrypted. Uh, so, you know, that's, you know, sort of, you know, enforcing that. Uh but the downside is that you need a certificate in order to do that. Um but uh you know, you know if if everyone had their way, like all the web would use, you know, encryption and like have all these certificates. But you know, just because the way that it's built right now, like you actually have to have a certificate and currently pay for it. Uh but that let's encrypt uh thing from last week mm-hmm. should change that.
1: Yeah. I mean encryption definitely is a good thing. Overall, there, there are some cases though when it may not matter as much, but I suppose it is a good overall blanket policy to have.
0: Uh, so speaking about HTTPS, um, it was just today that uh, one of our clients, uh, WillowTree, uh, uh, had a call from someone saying that, uh, it was like, hey, we're go- I'm in- on your checkout page here, uh, but my browser is complaining that it's not secured. Um, so, it seems that Chrome, uh, panics whenever you have a, uh, form on a page that does not submit to HTTPS, uh, when the page itself is also HTTPS. Uh-huh. It, like, throws some kind of warning at you saying that, you know, this page sends data over an unencrypted connection. Uh, but in reality, what it's really complaining about is the search box at the header. <laughs> Okay. So, like, in my own, uh, development environment, I made that HTTPS also, and the error went, or the, uh, warning went away. So, if you go to willowtree.com, uh, in Chrome and start to go through the checkout, there is a, uh, or rather, like, any secured page that it'll throw a warning because that search box at the top of the page, uh, sends data over HTTP.
1: Instead of, yeah. So so maybe the answer is, I've seen this in a lot of different sites, like Amazon, one example, when you start your checkout process, you actually kind of leave the site and you're not, you don't see the search bar anymore. Yeah, you go into like a separate domain, probably. Probably. And, and so it's almost like a, a different, because I mean, once you start the checkout process, you probably don't need to go search stuff. Yeah. So of course, making the client buy off on that one could be difficult.
0: So you know the the effort to fix that is trivial. Like I you know did that you know plus figured it out in about five or ten minutes.
1: So those are the good bugs when you fix them fast. So
0: and you know I suggested to my manager that uh, you know just at the back of a pocket kind of thing that you know just have an estimate ready to go. Uh, you know just to convert everything on the site to you know be secured. Uh, so, we've uh, talked about Blizzard Entertainment uh, a f- couple of times on this podcast before. Uh, the history of this video game developer has gone through about two phases, uh before World of Warcraft and after it was released. Uh, it now hopes to have a new phase, a third one. Uh, so, this uh, article sort of details, uh like, their development process... Uh uh, so it seemed like the uh first team that they have was uh, working on StarCraft. Uh so that was like sort of like their real-time strategy uh team. Uh team 2 was, you know, focused on World of Warcraft. Uh team 3 uh was focused on Diablo, uh which is like sort of like their demon hunter RPG game. Uh so at some point uh in the mid 2000s uh sometime after the launch of WoW uh, Blizzard forced, uh, or rather formed Team 4 to develop the first new game, like their first new series, uh, like for the first time in like five years. And that's the, uh, one that was, uh, doing Titan, I think we had mentioned before, uh, which, uh, they had, uh, notably, uh, you know, came out and said that, yeah, we're not doing this, uh, after about 10 years of, de- of development. Uh, ah. so, uh, you know, Blizzard is, you know, pretty much the only, uh, or one of, one of the only, uh, video game developers that can actually get away with, you know, working on something for 10 years and having nothing to show for it, uh, as in terms of a product. Uh, and the strangest thing was that they had never officially announced this. This was all leaks that, uh, you know, uh, anyone outside would have actually known that something was going on. Uh, so, uh, during this time, uh, Like, they, uh, developed the idea of a strike team, uh, so, like, these would, you know, uh, these people would go around and take a look at, you know, this one team's game and see, you know, what's going on with it, and, uh, you know, they would say, I hate this, I like
1: this, change this, and then they would just go away. Um... So just, like, kind of an instant review for feedback during the process...
0: Yeah, like someone from who's not, you know, living and breathing this thing all day, you know, have, you know, some fresh eyes, look at it, you know, and see what they think. Because, you know, Blizzard knows that at some point, you know, they're going to have to release this into the wild and they're going to have to ask real people for real money for this. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, that's, that's, uh, like, I'm not exactly sure if that would really influence their, uh like their development time or not uh because you know uh there's a, a sort of meme in the gaming community about valve time and valve time is essentially this game will be you know finished when it's finished or when it's ready uh blizzard uh i think adopted that uh, several years before valve was even formed uh so uh you know you know they polish everything to a mirror shine and make everything just work uh you know they're quite similar to apple in a lot of ways at least in uh, video games uh so they would uh these strike teams would go around and say wow that's dumb i hate it uh and uh the uh, one guy who they're interviewing said they're not nice and we don't want them to be (laughs) uh so uh blizzard formed team five in 2008 uh, uh which uh you know this team would be working on something entirely different from what they had been doing before uh though tied to the same values of quality and uh, uh they had mentioned how they would you know spend you know entire nights at the office not working but rather playing magic the gathering uh which is uh you know a collectible card game Uh, so they, you know, had ideas for this and it's like, well, won't we put a Warcraft skin on it, so that's how they made Hearthstone, uh, which is, uh, one of their, uh, pretty much their, you know, smash hits of late. Um, so, you know, this, uh, article also goes into, you know, how this has changed, uh, their way of thinking and how they design their games going forward. So and uh, I really like the uh, one quote here uh like from uh, like almost the beginning of the article uh saying maybe this is too harsh but World of Warcraft success was one of the biggest challenges we ever faced. So um I don't have a reference I can't find it anywhere but I remember reading that you know when they were you know developing it's you know before it was released that they did not expect World of Warcraft to have more than one hundred thousand players uh or subscribers uh but uh in like a year of release, they had like four million players, so it sounds like it kind of caught them off guard there on the yeah the
1: wide adoption,
0: so you know it it literally exploded um or figuratively exploded um that, you know, suddenly they needed to have all this infrastructure, and now, like, they have, like, all this audience, and they want to keep them, so they have to, you know, keep all these plates spinning. Uh, so, yeah, that uh, seemed to be quite a challenge to a company that had traditionally been small. Uh, you know, like, you know, everyone knew everyone else, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing.
1: And this is always tough for a company to go through uh a growth. That's like my company's been growing a lot in the past year and it's like basically doubled and you now they split into another building and everything and it's it's different learning, you know, how to communicate with people and, and stuff like that. And by different building do you mean your house? No, that would be another different place. They actually <laughs> in South Point there they used to have a smaller building up the road in South oh. Point and then they built the bigger one and moved there. Well now they're they they booted out the renter in the top floor of the big building and then they booted out the renter in the the other old building and so now they've moved QA back to the old the old building
0: Now we have some podcast feedback. Uh, Ian chimes in and says, "Yay, season three! And uh, R.I.P. at the Nexus. I hope that neither of us quit suddenly." Uh, he mentions a group in one of my classes is doing a project to port a game that he made a couple of years ago into JavaScript. It is the future. Uh, he notes that it seems that uh, Chrome OS and iOS are the only operating systems that don't have bugs allowing remote code to be executed that we know of. Well, it turns out that they aren't. So, a cursory search reveals that uh, both of those have had vulnerabilities. So.
1: Nothing's perfect.
0: Yes. So, uh, yeah, why don't we go ahead and talk about Chris? Hi, ah, yes, Chris. So, uh, I believe I may have mentioned this, but, uh, it seems that most of the recent Mondays or just some day of the week, uh, that we have a Monday Marvel movie madness in which he, uh, uh, gets a, uh, one of the recent Marvel movies, uh, from the library comes over to my place and we watch them. Uh, so, uh, let's see, it was last week... Uh, I forget what exactly we watched though, uh, but, uh, uh, like we had gotten to a discussion where he questioned my definition of the word penultimate. And, you know, he's like, well, that's, you know, sort of like the best thing someone's ever done, right? He's like, no, it means the one before the last, you know, of a series. Uh, because, uh, you know, I had mentioned at some point earlier in the conversation that if something is penultimate, then it implies that it is in some sort of a sequence, uh, like a list or something, not a tree, but a list. (laughs) So (laughs) Uh, (laughs) so for about five minutes, we were yelling at each other, uh, over this definition and, uh, he went to the Urban Dictionary's uh, definition of penultimate, and uh, I was first surprised that uh, it's not a sexual innuendo for anything, <laughs> uh, which is what everything is on Urban Dictionary, uh, and uh, you know, you know, came up with the definition that Chris was looking for. Then I'm like, congratulations, Chris, you know what slang is. Uh, so, yeah, we completely flipped out at each other, and it was great. So, um, yeah, in the meantime, uh, he wants to- I forget what he wants to do- he was planning to do on Saturday, but I was planning on going to the church Christmas party, because as it turns out, I like free food and socialism, uh, so I'm going to be going to that.
1: He likes socialism.
0: (laughs) Well, yeah, isn't that what it's called? When you go to a
1: party? This is true. Everyone brings something and everyone needs something. So... Wait, so to each according to his his ability to eat and to eat according to his need.
0: Wait, I wasn't going there. Uh, I wasn't like communism or anything. I'm, oh,
1: you meant the other kind of socialism. Okay. Yeah, I'm
0: like talking
1: to people. You know, that's like oh, socialism. Oh, that's social stuff. Yeah, I thought you were talking about the food and, and how you you're getting food, but you had to give food to get the food. Okay.
0: Yeah, that's what socialism is, right? you like,
1: talking with people. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's what I'm talking about. I so, see. So, if you would like to dispute some of the definitions on this show, uh, go ahead and use the uh, contact feature on TheNexus.tv. And don't forget that today is International Backup Awareness Day, so back up your stuff. And, uh, let's see, I believe I... Uh let's see, I know I haven't shouted out to Mom uh recently. Uh but uh hi Mom. And I would also like to say hi and thank you to all of the musicians that I have uh stolen music from, and that's stolen in sarcastic quotes. Uh people like UNAT, Big Giant Circles, C four eighteen, Blake Robinson, Anatech. D-M-A-S-C, and, uh, probably a few others that I'm missing, uh, but, uh, thank you for making such great music available that I can use so this podcast can sort of sound good. So, uh, yeah, looks like I'll be going to that party on Saturday. Are you going to be coming down here pretty soon? Uh, no, I
1: don't think I'll be down for a while, at least I have, a uh, uh Deer hunting next week. I got the whole week off, so. Cool. Hopefully get a deer. Deer season starts on Saturday, so I'll probably be hunting on Saturday. Okay. And what? By deer season, what kind of weapon do you mean? Doe season with a rifle. Buck season with rifle actually did start on Monday, but I didn't bother taking off work from it because I figured the chances of shooting a buck with three points on one side are not that good. So I just pretty much focus on doe hunting.
0: So, yeah, it's pretty confusing that you say, oh, bow hunting season starts, and then turkey season starts, uh, but they are not, like, uh, how should I
1: say, uh, at the same time. Yeah, they have different time periods for different seasons. And you're right, there's different weapons. I'll be talking about deer season again at the end of the month, and and I'll be talking about it in the same way, but it's a totally different season with totally different weapons. Yes. this This is with a rifle rifle with but, a scope and everything
0: but then again this is totally out of my league so i'll trust you on that
1: hey at least you've read the first two pages of the silencer article <laughs>
0: so you're, you're close so all right i guess that's it so have a good one you too